This is The Big Question, where we do our best to answer questions from young disciples at Grace Presbyterian Church and to be at peace with the mysteries that we can't explain. I'm Pastor Mark, your host, and in this episode we have questions from Amy, Rosemary, Israel, Caleb F., and Susanna. First, we'll tackle a few serious questions, then we'll look at this episode's big question, and we'll wrap things up at the end with a few fun questions. Let's start with our serious questions. Our first question comes from Amy, and she asks, what's an officer nomination? Thanks for asking, Amy, because you're giving me a chance to remind any parents who are listening right now that there's still a week to go before the end of our officer nomination period. So if you haven't made a nomination, do it today. Now, to answer your question, our church follows the New Testament pattern of being led by men who hold one of two God-ordained offices, elders and deacons. Elders support the spiritual needs of the congregation, and deacons support the physical needs. Now, every member of the church can nominate potential elders and deacons. Once they've been trained, we'll present the names to the congregation, and they'll be able to vote to elect their own leaders. And now Rosemary asks, Is Jesus in Abraham's family line? The best thing to do when you have a question like this, Rosemary, is to check the Bible. Now, I wonder if there's a place somewhere in Scripture that has something like a family tree or a genealogy. Why, yes, there is. If you look at the very beginning of Matthew's Gospel, right there in verse 1, it starts by tracing the family line of Jesus, humanly speaking. The list finishes in verse 16 with Jesus. But if we trace his lineage back through Joseph, generation by generation, we get to the last king of Judah, Jeconiah, and through him back to King David, and through him all the way back to Abraham. In fact, that's where the list actually begins in verse 2 with Abraham. So yes, Jesus is in the family line of both David and Abraham. Now it's time for the big question. Our big question this week comes from Israel. Let's give Israel a round of applause. Here's Israel's question. Why did Peter lose faith? A lot of people hearing this question will think it refers to Peter's denial of Jesus after his arrest when Peter claimed three times that he didn't even know Jesus. But in fact, Israel is referring to something that happens earlier in Matthew 14. When Jesus walked on the water toward the ship where the disciples were sailing desperately at the end of Matthew 14, Peter called out and asked if Jesus would command him to come out on the water with him. Jesus did that and Peter was able to walk on water all the way to Jesus. But then we read this, When he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So Peter stepped out of the boat in faith, and as long as his eyes were fixed on Jesus, he could walk on water. 
But as soon as he saw the wind, he lost his confidence. He became afraid and he started sinking. That's the moment Israel is asking about. Why did Peter lose faith and sink when, after all, Jesus was standing right there? Matthew makes the answer clear, but we need to not just answer the question, but also think about what the answer means. Peter loses faith because he's afraid, and he's afraid because he sees the wind. Now, you can't literally see the wind. As Jesus explains in John chapter 3, verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. You don't see the wind. It's invisible to the eye. But you see the effects, in this case, the high waves and stormy sea, the rippling of the sails, the hair blowing in your eyes, lashing your skin. It's natural to be afraid in a storm like that. And yet, it's not natural to be afraid when Jesus is there. And for Peter, Jesus is right there, close enough to touch. He sees Jesus face to face. And he's already witnessed the power of Jesus. He's seen Jesus calm storms before. He's seen him feed multitudes. And he's seen him literally giving Peter the power to walk on water. Now, all of that should have filled Peter with confidence. His faith should have grown, but instead it fails. How can that possibly be? Well, it's a testament to just how frail and fragile human faith really is. The Bible is full of examples of people who we would call heroes of the faith, and yet the reality was their faith was never as strong as you think. When they were tested, they struggled. They were fearful of their circumstances, uncertain of God's provision. Sometimes they were faithful despite these faults, and sometimes their faith failed them, just like Peter's did. There's a lesson here for us. Never think that your own strength will be enough to save you. If Peter couldn't be strong enough with all the advantages that he had, if he couldn't do it even though he was looking at Jesus face to face, then you can't do it either. No amount of willpower, no amount of self-discipline, and no amount of faith will ever be enough. It's not your faith that saves you. It's the fact that your faith is in Jesus. Jesus saves Peter, even though Peter is fearful and doubting. And Jesus will save you, too. Call out to him like Peter did, and he will do it. Now, as you grow up, Israel, you'll discover that all of your heroes will eventually disappoint you. Because none of them are perfect, no matter how good they seem. But you know what? That's okay. Because there is one who will never disappoint you. Because he really is perfect. And that's Jesus. So put your trust in him. Before we close, let's look at a few fun questions. Our first question comes from Caleb F. He wants to know, when Dan becomes a pastor, will his title on the back of the bulletin be listed as pastor? Great question, Caleb. And yes, that's absolutely right. When Dan is ordained and installed as Grace's associate pastor, which is scheduled to happen on May 21st, we will change his title to pastor. And I'm happy to report that at our presbytery meeting this week, Dan completed all of his ordination examinations with flying colors. 
Elders from all over our presbytery, which spans South Dakota, Minnesota, and North Dakota, got to quiz Dan on church history and sacraments. He did a great job answering. You would have been really proud of him. That means that less than a month from now, we'll have a new pastor at Grace, Pastor Dan, and he will work right alongside me. It's going to be wonderful. And now Susanna wants to know, what's the funniest question that you've gotten? Susanna, let me tell you something. Nobody listens to the big question for the funny questions. They listen for the funny answers. And to me, the funniest answers are the ones where I take a question that really isn't funny and make it hilarious. The best example I can remember was a question about the Vikings. Do you remember that one? I was asked what I thought about the Vikings, and I knew that the question meant the Minnesota Vikings, a football team. But I pretended like I didn't know that, and I started explaining what I thought about the real Vikings from medieval history. And I thought that was just hilarious, so much so that I told a bunch of other people about it. And even though I don't think any of them actually laughed, I have no doubt that they thought it was every bit as hilarious as I did. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to The Big Question. Remember, if we're going to find the answers, then we have to ask the questions. Never be afraid to ask and never be satisfied with easy answers. The truth will stand up to scrutiny. Until next time, keep asking The Big Questions.